If you're a regular listener, you've heard me share my list of top 10 biohacks. Let's talk about number nine, fun hacks for the bulletproof mind. It may sound weird, but hanging upside down is a great way to hack your brain. Regularly inverting trains your brain capillaries, making them stronger and more capable to bring oxygen to your brain. It's pretty straightforward. More oxygen in the brain means better performance. I get my daily stretch and my dose of oxygen with my teeter inversion table, which is so essential for optimum focus, concentration, and mental energy. That full body stretch elongates the spine and takes the pressure off the discs so they can plump back up. Less pressure means less pain. If you have back pain, even if you've been lucky enough to avoid it so far, you really want a teeter to invert every day to keep your back and joints feeling great. For over 35 years, Teeter has set the standard for quality inversion equipment you can trust. My friends over at Teeter have decided to show some love to Bulletproof listeners. For a limited time, you can get the Teeter inversion table with bonus accessories and a free pair of gravity boots so you can invert at home or take the boots with you to the gym. To get this deal, which is a savings of over 138 bucks, go to getteeter.com bulletproof. You'll also get free shipping and a 60-day money-back guarantee and free returns. So there's absolutely no risk you to try it out. Remember, you can only get the teeter with bonus accessories and a free pair of gravity boots by going to getteeter.com slash bulletproof. G-E-T-T-E-E-T-E-R dot com slash bulletproof. Check it out. Bulletproof Radio, a state of high performance. Next up. Everyone's talking about red light therapy beds and for good reason. There's a company called ARRC LED that's building an entirely new class of LED devices. ARRC LED beds integrate proprietary scanning technology and frequency protocols to shape the delivery of six different wavelengths in dose-optimized photobiomodulation. Yes, that's a lot of words. What it is, though, is that photobiomodulation improves the underlying energetics of the cells in your body. And those changes can benefit nearly every tissue and organ and system in your body. You change your cells and you change your life. For more information, visit ARRCLED.com. What if there was a way to level up your energy, get rid of stress, and take more control of your body? Welcome to Quantum Upgrade. This is a new technology that taps into quantum energy to help you feel amazing. Quantum Upgrade has a lot of different products that help protect you from EMF and help activate your body's natural healing abilities. You can expect better sleep, more resilience, less stress, and better blood flow. The cool thing about Quantum Upgrade is that the products are backed by a lot of heavy-duty scientific studies, and there's a new measurable upgrade. You can now use Quantum Upgrade to increase your consciousness levels between 1,400 and 2,200 on the Hawkins map of consciousness. If you don't know what that means, do some research because it's impressive, it's fun to learn about, and it's something that I've come to understand. Ready to try Quantum Upgrade? Visit quantumupgrade.io slash Dave for a seven-day free trial. Is your chance to be part of a live studio audience for an episode of Bulletproof Radio. Now, from an audio engineering perspective, uh, I have to say this because I have this microphone. You're listening to Bulletproof Radio with Dave Asprey. And and today's cool fact of the day is that this episode doesn't have a cool fact of the day. 
I've heard that a lot of people in the biohacking community and just people want to take care of themselves have had trouble with how much they overpay for life insurance because life insurance companies haven't caught up with all the new science that changes the way different types of, of food and exercise and diets are viewed by the scientific community. Life insurance companies are still telling you to eat fat-free toast and crap like that. Uh, so, for example, if you're committed to the Bulletproof diet, you might have an increased level of good cholesterol called HDL that's protective. But some life insurance companies are going to lump all cholesterol into one negative category based on science that's actually been rejected by the American Heart Association, but the life insurance companies still do it. And that decision can increase what you pay for life insurance. So if you're listening to this podcast, you care about your health. And a company called Health IQ advocates for health-conscious lifestyles, and they think you should actually be rewarded for it. So they use science and data to get you lower rates on insurance from the health companies, things for people who are health-conscious, cyclists, runners, even vegans and vegetarians, weightlifters, people on Bulletproof. In fact, research has shown that people with a high health IQ are 42% less likely to be obese and have a 57% lower risk of early death, and they get to be in the hospital less. So a lot of people don't know their health IQ, and they don't know that their health IQ can save them money on life insurance. So it's worth checking out. Right now, Bulletproof Radio listeners can learn more and get a free life insurance quote by going to healthiq.com slash bulletproof. That's healthiq.com slash bulletproof to learn your health IQ and to learn more about life insurance for people who pay attention to their health. Hey guys, I want to tell you about this awesome new razor I've been using. It's made by Harry's and this shave is fantastic. Harry's was started by two guys, Jeff and Andy, who were fed up with being overcharged for razors. So they started their own razor company to give guys everywhere what they deserve, a great shave at a fair price. So they bought a factory with 100 years of blade making experience so they could make their own high quality razors, sell them online, ship them directly to you for half the price of the leading brand. Harry's razors have everything you need for a close, comfortable shave. Five German engineered blades, a lubricating strip, a flex hinge for comfortable glide, trimmer blade for hard to reach places, and weighted ergonomic handle. And all this for about two bucks a blade compared to $4 that you'd pay at the drugstore. Harry's is so confident in the quality of their blades, they want you to try their most popular trial set for free. It comes with a razor handle of your choice, a five blade cartridge, and shaving gel. It's free when you sign up, just pay the fee for shipping. To redeem your free trial offer, go to harrys.com slash bullet right now. That's harrys.com slash bullet. Give it a try. Normally when I record, it's one-on-one in a quiet studio, and quite often they're somewhere else or doing it over Skype, and you wouldn't imagine this, but I'm staring at a camera, and behind the camera is a big screen TV, and their face is right behind the camera, so I try to make eye contact, and I'm guessing most of you listen but don't watch, right? How many of you watch the videos? You guys are real fans, all right. And, th- and the rest of you listen, right? Uh, it's because you drive and things like that. So the problem is, I don't get to interact with an audience when I do that. And when I speak like I am now, I'm actually paying a lot of attention to what's going on with you guys. So there's visual cues, except I don't really get many of them because there's a really bright light in my eyes. Because, see that back there? Like, uh, so I actually just pick up the energy in the room. And this is something that you can do if you practice heart rate variability meditation the way I've recommended for a lot of people. And it's actually something that if you do the neurofeedback stuff, you can tell what's going on. But what I haven't yet mastered uh, is the art of, of humor. <laughs> so your job as part of the live studio audience is uh, to laugh at my bad jokes 
even if they're bad, just you know, give, give me some love, all right? With, uh, with no further ado, I believe we've got Neil Strauss back here. Neil, are you, you back here? Come on up. I'm, I'm really happy that you could make it because I'm, I'm a fan. I mean, you've, your first, I don't know if it was your first book, but one of your first books, Emergency, inspired me to know Santa Monica in a way that I didn't know. That's awesome. I know, what you're, I know where you're going with this. <laughs> I read Emergency and was like, this guy has gone through this odyssey of, of just learning about things that frankly made you afraid. Yes. Which was really cool. And, and one of the things you did is you said, well, I decided that I would do urban escape and survival training where they handcuff you and teach you to pick locks and escape from trunks and get kidnapped. And, I mean, what sane person wouldn't want to do that, right? Uh, that's not what my friends told me. Yeah. <laughs> so, so I said, I have to go do this. And I signed up for the training. And it was in Santa Monica. <laughs> so I spent a day, actually it was three days, uh, and I spent one day having been hooded, handcuffed, escaping from a van. And Did they water, waterboard and tase you? Was that part of it? Uh, That's part of it. It's not a joke, it, actually. They really do that. It was an option I declined. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. Uh, oh, man, I'm so like, disappointed. It's like, I'm not going to take the upgrade here. <laughs> right. <laughs> because you respond differently under stress. The idea uh, is... I thought it was stressful enough yeah. without the waterboarding. Yeah. <laughs> True. I, and I don't have a problem with being handcuffed and hooded. That's actually part... Never mind. <laughs> That's for another interview. <laughs> but I, uh, I found it really stressful to be like hunted by bounty hunters, even though I'm like in Santa Monica. And, and one of the highlights of, of this experience was I'd hidden a little costume, so I put on like this red beanie and a fake ponytail and, and like dorky glasses. And I carried a cigarette, and I walked down the outdoor mall in Santa Monica where no one would ever do that, like I'm jonesing. And I'm like, <sighs> and people would make this wide circle around me because, like, that guy is seriously needs, like, a needle in his arm. And this little girl walks up to me and goes, hi. And I'm like, damn it, she can see right through me. Like, she's not judging me. Uh, and then I walk past three of the bounty hunters, and they totally can't see me. I'm like, I'm invisible. That's awesome. That, this, this course, by the way, is, it's, it's amazing because you learn so much. There's other layers to the world we're living in, and there's the idea of being the invisible man or woman, which is, you know, if you walk around maybe with a, we would go around and say construction helmet, clipboard, look like you're working. People just ignore you or looking like a junkie. And there's all these different strata of the world. And when Dave was talking about he, how he hid his costume, what that means is the night before you go and create a cache, which is you hide your stuff somewhere out in the world where no one will take it, but in a public area. When you go to hide your cache, you find other caches of homeless people and addicts and other people who've hidden their stuff within the city. So there are all these layers of reality that we're walking past and not seeing. It's fascinating. And the reason why we did this is not just because it's fun. It's easy to feel like... It is fun. <laughs> Maybe that's why you did it. But I, I also did it because it's also facing your fears, but also, yeah. like, we're living in a very scary political time. Is that safe to say? Fuck yeah, right? <laughs> you know, my dad's lived through World War II, the Cold War, all that. He's like, now is the scariest time in, in history. And you've got two choices, which is, like, you can be a victim and be in fear, or you can say, well, I can be as self-sufficient as I can 
and learn everything I can and feel a little bit uh, like you have some options and, and, and control and you can, you can seek to understand and build a skill set so that, you know, unless you're at ground zero, you can take care of yourself and take care of your family and take care of your loved ones. That wasn't why I went. I just thought it'd be fun. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. No, and I, it's fun. And it's fun because there's, there's two different kinds of survivalism. And I know we're not, this is probably not the main point of the I talk. but talk about a lot. There's, there's like survivalism out of fear, which is going to live off the grid and build a bunker and, you know, and, and stock up. But then you've missed living out in the world. Then there's another kind. And I always ask myself, like, can it still add to my life? Yeah. Learning to do these things are additive and not retreating. Well, I, pushing your boundaries like that is, is really important, and it actually it felt really odd, like, like kind of a, a bit of like loneliness, like like they're out to get me sort of stuff. Reminded me of some sort of like high school, and uh, <laughs> <Aww>. <laughs> uh, and it was it was really uh, it triggered a lot of stuff, which was cool because that's what I wanted it to do. And I do other things like fast in a cave all by myself in the desert for four days. Well, that was hunger and loneliness. Let's like pair those up and double down. Uh, things like that, to see what you're made of. Let me ask you a question. What's your biggest fear right now that you, would wanna f that you don't want to face? Like, what's something that would really take you outside your comfort it, zone? This, and as, like, you guys can think of this for yourselves, too. This is going to sound really egotistical, but... <laughs> Insignificance. I, no. I hacked that shit. Like, I do not... If I find a fear, I go in with neurofeedback and I erase it. Like, like it's, it's a core part of what I do. So if I dig really deep, like, core fears, I'm like... I'm, You're cool? You'll, like, live off Doritos and soda for, like, a month? I used to have a serious fear would about you do, that. Would you do that now? I, know, I, I had to spend two days <laughs> removing that fear. Because right. one of my biggest fears was actually, like, going back to being, like, unable to control my energy. Right? And now I'm like... It happens, it happens. Like, like, like I'm not going to die. Or maybe I'll die. Whatever. But, like, even that... I, I, don't, like, I don't buy the no fear thing. Like, yeah. So, would you, shoot, would you shoot up heroin? Would it, actually, if it was pharmaceutical grade, what I would use it, it three times what, a what week if, what for anti-aging. What was the used needle from somebody outside? I, I would choose not to do it. <laughs> but would I choose out of fear? Or would it have, like, a visceral thing? Like, I literally seek them out, create the worst case possible, and then change my mental state to associate the positive state with that until I'm at a level thing. Like, right. being non-reactive there has allowed me to be grounded and present at times when I would have been, like, frankly, beating the crap out of someone earlier in my life. Right. Or would you drive on the freeway, like, the 101 blindfolded and just trust your intuition? <laughs> I mean, there's no, the, yeah. the, the thing is, there's no absolutes when we say we're not afraid or we're, we're always happy. You know what I mean? There's, there's, but fear is an emotion. Yeah. And right. then just doing stupid shit is not an emotion. Right. Right. I bet there's some, people, there's, some people who could, there's some people who could do that. I would, right. I would love to learn how to do that, right. but I probably won't. Right. Cool. <laughs> but, but, and so, like I said, it'll sound a little crazy egotistical or like I'm just denying fear. And what I did is I sought it out and I used technology to make sure that it wasn't part of the voice in my head because I found the voice in my head was really annoying. Cool. <laughs> that's, that's true. Now, are you listening in, too? What's that? To the voice in my head? Uh, yeah, it's annoying as shit, man. <laughs> so, so, I read... The voice in your head is telling you right now, dude, you got a lot of shit to face. It's like, but, you know, we, but we get, like, it's just, it's just interesting. Or even, like, think about what, a, what uh, somebody... Uh, you know, would you really go, go to war right now and, uh, you know, and fight for... You know, there's a lot of things. And again, I'll let go of it. Sure. But I just don't buy that there's not, you know what I mean? I just don't it, buy it. I would like to find anything that you could measure as triggering like the visceral response to fear. Because you can measure fear. You can do right. it with the EEG. 
if I find any of those things, I'm like, I play whack-a-mole with that crap. And it's not suppressing it, it's erasing it. And I'm not proposing that this is what normal people do at all. I'm just saying that identifying the fears that I found from this, which was five, six years ago, that I've right. gone through and actually there's, worked on. There's another on way to that. say it, then I'll let it go. But, but this is, this is my, by the way, this is what I do. Like, this is what I do in all my books and everything. Yeah, yeah. I just drill in and you find out what's there. But the question is, like, what are you afraid to, or maybe fear is the wrong word, right? Mm-hmm. What do you not want to do that other people are doing just fine? And you can look at that in life and say, where is that, in, where is that interesting? I can tell you that there are areas where I would fail miserably. If I was my executive admin, I would fire me in, like, five seconds. Right. And one of the things that I will not do, and I choose very carefully not to, is I don't want to waste energy. Like, I want the energy that I put into the world to provide the maximum return. But it's a choice, and I still do dishes sometimes, which isn't maximum return. Right. It just makes me mad. Right. So you you get mad. So, like, wasting your time, doing something that would just be a total waste of time would be challenging for you. Yeah. Absolutely. And it's... It's not that there are things I dislike or that I don't dislike or whatever. It, it's just that I used to have like a very visceral like response that was that took energy that put me in a sympathetic, dominant sort of thing, and now I find that the things that put me in a sympathetic, dominant like fight or flight mode, uh, that they're usually physical things, but it's not like a story that I told myself because I think I've unwound the vast majority of the stories. The ones that are there are small and I haven't found them yet, whatever they might be. Cool. I'll, I'll let it go. I could go. I, I could do this for the whole hour, but I think we had so much shit to talk about. I'm just going to dig right. into Dave. <laughs> so one of my fears is being naked. Oh, just kidding. <laughs> Time to get over that right now. <laughs> it's a few people's fear here is maybe seeing you naked. <laughs> you should have seen me 20 years ago. So I, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, then comes your your next book, the the game. And this was the book where pretty much like everyone said that you were a bad man. Did, did I say that approximately right? Sure. Yeah, right. And then recently you came out, and, and the game was about uh, basically the pickup artist community and this idea that you can sort of programmatically test what works to pick up women. And I actually have a, a friend who really got into this about 10 plus years ago, a guy who's not particularly attractive. and holy crap, how could he do that? He could, like, walk into any bar and, like, snap his fingers and there's, like, five hot women, like, feeding him cocktail nuts. I, 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 like, like, this guy's a magician. But I'm sure he was using some of the stuff that you wrote about. And then you came out with uh, your next book. Uh, this is your most recent one, right? Right. And that one was, was actually like one where you, you dug really deep. And- it was the toughest thing was to actually look at myself. Yeah. Right? Yeah. It was easy to like, get thrown in a trunk, tased and waterboarded, but to actually look like, at what's going on in here and in here and what's wrong with them. Like, the emergency, the book you talked about, was like a year. The game was two years. This was maybe like five years. That's, this is the hardest shit. And uh, I just got to say hats off because that was uh, an admirable work. And if you guys haven't read it, and you've written seven New York Times bestsellers, and I always confuse their names. This is... What's the last, the name of your most recent book? Wait, The Truth? The, the Truth, thank yeah. you. I was like, like, no, it's not the game, it's the other one, The Truth. Yeah. So if you guys haven't read The Truth, it's absolutely worth reading because you said something in there um, that I want to talk with you about right. in our interview today where learning how to start a relationship, or maybe under false pretenses in, uh, in the game was something that you learned, but you learned that you really didn't have the skills to be in a relationship and you just kind of laid it all bare. So it, it, was a, it was, A, an act of courage to write the book, 
uh, and to do the work that would lead to being able to write it, but also just to share that so publicly. So, so kudos for that. Yeah, it's true. Like relationships are the most transformational space, whether it's with a with your with your children, with your parents, with uh, your loved ones, because you can't control the other person. It's the only place where we're there. We're like, shit. I actually have to deal with this person as they are, <laughs> and it's and it's terrifying for most people, you know. And like, and 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 that's where like. That's where the rub comes in. If you want to know, like, <clears throat> we can even do this with someone in the, someone in the audience, which is, uh, like, if you want to know what's really going on with someone psychologically, get them and their partner together and see where the rub is, right? Is anyone here brave enough to say, like, what's the biggest issue with their partner? It's such a fun area. <laughs> we, we, actually, we have a supplement for that. It's called Stepford Spouse. It <laughs> yeah. just works. That, that people, that's what people's dream is, but then you're just, it's, you might, it's, it's crazy that people would want that. That's where the fun is. That's where the growth is, is working that stuff together. There's like, like relationships, there's these phases in relationships that are so helpful to learn once you understand them, which is, there's the projection phase, right? Which is like, I meet you and I have this space in my heart and I think you're going to fill it and I put all these imaginary qualities on you and I'm not even dating you, I'm just dating this, per, this fantasy. And then what happens down the line is a... Uh, <clears throat> the disillusionment phase where you're like, oh wait, you're not what I thought you were, you're actually doing things maybe I don't like or I don't approve of or I can't control. And then people go around and say, oh, I'm disillusioned. They're not who I thought they were. Like, dude, you, this is the day you met them. This is the day the relationship actually starts. And then, most, and then what happens is there's a power struggle phase where you try to get them to be who you wanted them to be and they try to get you who they want you to be. Some couples never get out of that. My parents are still in that. <laughs> you know? And then, then it, then either you, it can resolve in a, in a way where you both actually get to have a real relationship or you can be in like a, what I call parallel relationships. It's like, I don't call it, I've read it somewhere. Um, but it's two people in a relationship in the same roof, but like living their own lives. They just sort of aren't together anymore or a conflict relationship. I just find like, it's so fascinating. And every day with my wife, like I love when we have conflict because, because that's where the growth is. When we're getting along, we're getting along. But if there's conflict, the success of a relationship is in how quickly you can resolve your conflict, right? And really, truly resolve it. So if we're in conflict, it's like, all right, let's see what's going on with us. And we get to resolve it. And sometimes, like in five minutes, we'll be laughing hysterically. And it's, it's great. The success is how quick, how uh, shortening the time with which you recover fully from a conflict. That's where the success is. It's not in, if, if you never have conflict, I'm worried. I'd be worried about you. Do you ever find yourself, like, poking at her to create conflict just for the joy of it? <laughs> um, no, but I find myself resisting the false thought that she is poking at me. Right? What you're do like, you mean by resisting the false so, thought? So, uh, let me think of a good example. And I, let's see, let me think of an example. Um, okay, here's an example. She calls now, while we're here in the back, just a minute ago, and she's like, oh, can you stay home with the, with the baby because I have to go, want to go to this thing. I'm like, oh, I'm about to go on stage and do a talk with Dave Asprey. That's not what I heard you say. You said, yes, ma'am, yes, ma'am. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> and, then, and then my first thought was like, do you not even know that I'm speaking? Do I not have some support for my own wife? And I'm like, who the fuck cares, <laughs> right? So you can get in this belief, like you can, you can just choose your thoughts and your beliefs. And maybe that's an example of me thinking, oh, I could get in the, in the false in the, I can get in the lie that, oh, she doesn't support me, she's not there for me, she doesn't care that I'm speaking, or I can be like, oh, I'm, who, who really cares, right? Why, she, she's not, like, uh, working for me, she doesn't have to, like, know my itinerary. Did I even tell her? I don't know if I did, right? <laughs> so, so my question is, so how many people here are here in relationships, out of curiosity? 
So about like, what does that look like? About a third of the room? How many people are like not sure if they're in a relationship? They're kind of like <laughs> <laughs> a few, a few people, right? It's that weird thing. Or I'm just, how many people are sitting with someone but you're not sure if you're in a relationship? So you don't know whether to raise your hand over there, right? You do. <laughs> like, I, did she? Like, that's a telling moment. And were there any people who are like one person, the couple raised the hand, the other one didn't? You know, <laughs> that's this is by the way. This is why it's all so fun. Is anyone here who's like never been in a relationship for more than a year? Put your hand up. Yeah, it's so interesting, right? And so, so those those people should couple off. They, they, <laughs> they can be in a great parallel relationship, <laughs> and and I, and because that's like so much programming is around the relationship yeah. stuff, all that great attachment theory stuff. So that you guys would obviously be like, uh, you know, super avoidant, avoidant attachment. It's fascinating. So if you, I recommend for the people who raised your hand, go get in one and see who you are, see where your fears are. I, I have a question for you guys. How many of you wish that your significant other was here with you tonight and they wouldn't come? Oh, good question. So about like 10, 12 yeah. hands up. Yeah. yeah. And one of the things that I've noticed, and I want to get your take on this, Neil. Okay. In couples sometimes, when one person starts on a path of self-improvement, spiritual growth, meditation, yoga, uh, heroin, okay, maybe not that, <laughs> but whatever... Uh, whatever, like, like I'm going to, to, to do something and the other person resists and won't come along, it seems like it can really, it can drive a wedge. It's funny, because I have a friend who's, who's super into your stuff um, and he was gone down this path and his wife doesn't go down this path. And then he's always trying to get her, like, why, why are you eating that stuff? Why are you letting the kid around? Those <laughs> toxic toys, you're poisoning our kid. And like, why, you know, and, she, and what happens is, he, the problem isn't that he's doing something she's not, problem is he thinks he's somehow doing something better than her and she has to get with the program and it ends up being both judgmental and belittling. Yeah. So the problem is that you're doing different things. The problem is just because you got into it, whatever way you got into it, you expect your partner to get on board with it and then start to look down on them and judge them if they don't, which makes them want to do it less because they're not doing it for them, they're doing it for you. There's a concept of the, the spiritual ego, which is actually the hardest ego to crack. And this is the one that says, oh, you know, I, because I meditate, I'm better than you. And because I'm so ego aware, I'm better than you. And, and I used this to sell a Prius once. <laughs> so I wrote an ad for Craigslist and, and I wrote, well, you know, I'm, I, I have this Prius and my psychic told me, this is all true, by the way. It was nominated for best of Craigslist. It's like, I, my psychic Amazing. told me that walking is better for the environment than driving a Prius. So, because I love Mother Nature more than you, I'm selling my Prius, whose name is Sunshine. <laughs> so, that would be a crass example of spiritual ego. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, no, it's amazing. People can do something and not get the message. That's one yeah. of the traps of self-improvement in this stuff, is you think, oh, because I'm doing this, mm -hmm. thus I'm working on myself. But a lot of people, and that's the reason why I asked you that question about fears or the area where you're not comfortable is, a lot of people only dig in one area where they feel safe. I know some people who are in a bubble and they really yeah. work hard on this one area when over there is where the real growth lies outside their comfort zone. It, it's, it, it's a good question they ask me and I'm still kind of going through there and I say anyone who knows me really well, if you know one of those things that I don't see, like you got to tell me because I do these like worst case meditations that are truly awful to like explore. Like what would it be like if I had no food forever and I only ate Doritos and all this? I've done those like with awesome. electrodes. Uh, and so I, I seek that out, uh, but well, I know it, it's, it's wasting your time. It's wasting your time. Yeah, because kind of called it out. The whole worry thing, though, it, it's the stories you tell yourself, and so true. 
And, and what I realized is that I have like this amazing power of self-deception. And you tell yourself these stories, and they're just not based on reality, like the one you told your, your wife. Right. Uh, or not you told your wife, but you told yourself about your wife. Like, oh, she's calling me right now because she doesn't respect my time, or wh right. whatever the story was. By the way, my wife clearly doesn't respect my time either, so it's all right. <laughs> they're together, not respecting us. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Lana, if you're listening. Of course you do. It's amazing. Like, I really, like, I, yeah. <laughs> I, I would, no, but I really think, like, if there's a goal, is to, like, get couples and people together and make them realize that all your shit is you. It's not the other person. And same with everything. Mm -hmm. so, the, the reason I asked about people who are here and wish your spouse was here, just because you're, you're bulletproof, it doesn't actually make you better than anyone else. Actually, it does. <laughs> just kidding. Uh, but but the, the thing that happened to me when I first, even long before Bulletproof became a thing, in the, the mid to late 90s when I lost a substantial amount of weight, and I, I was like the biggest jerk ever because I hadn't done a lot of my emotional work and, and, and all that, and I was like, how dare you eat that? Like, don't you know it's about steak, right? And, and all the sort of Atkins diet sort of things, and you end up just pissing everyone off because the bottom line is, Telling people all this stuff doesn't really do much unless they're interested. All you are is annoying. So, yeah. like, if, if you want to get what you want with someone, judging them is the worst way to get a positive response from someone. Even, even if you're right. You said it. So what I eventually arrived at is, like, I'm just going to lead by example. And even in my relationship, I'm like, I've been using nootropics for 20 years. You know how hard it was to get my wife to use nootropics? Good God. She finally did. <laughs> but it wasn't because I shamed her into it or judged her into it. It was like, she's like, you know, maybe I should try this. I'm like, wow, it only took you nine years. Awesome sauce, right? <laughs> Here's what you do if you want your partner to change. First of all, you let go of one in the change. Yeah. Accept them as they are, exactly. number one. If you don't accept them as they are, like, dude, break up now. Real. Secondly is you just be awesome. Just be awesome. Yeah. Like with me and my relationship, I was doing all this work on myself and the truth and dealing with my family issues and my trauma and, and all that stuff is like, she was like, at some point she was like, well, what's going on with you? Like, you used to get mad by this, you're not even upset. I'm like, no, that's cool. She, yeah. what, what, what do you, what, what's going on? So as you start to just be awesome, look, look better, feel better, do better, behave better, feel, think, breathe better, people like, they want that. They'll come to you, you'll attract it, but all you have to do is just be awesome and people want whatever you have. You don't have to, once you force it on them, then it's totalitarianism, right? And it, if you don't answer this, you don't have to, but did, <laughs> did you come across times in your relationship where your wife is expecting a response from you that was typical and you overcame a trauma or you reached a new level of awesome and the non-reactivity either pissed her off or scared her? Yeah, yeah, yeah for sure, for sure. There, there's a thing, by the way, which, which is really true, especially if you're in like a super dysfunctional relationship is... Some people want that response to feel wanted, mm -hmm. right? They want you to feel jealous, to get upset, whatever it is, because that makes them, that's their own issues that makes them feel wanted. And, but by not responding, but still staying connected, it's the most powerful thing. So absolutely, there were times when it, when it was like... So, so yeah. how, did, how did you handle that? Um, oh, it, it, it's so interesting. I, lo I, love the, I love this stuff. I love this stuff. And by the way, no one here has called out their partner yet, so I haven't forgotten that question. <laughs> You're not off the hook. Um, is, uh, so she would, she would, I'm, I'll try to, I'm trying to, this happened, so she would say the thing and, and I would sort of logically just say, hey, wait, 
So you're mad at me for doing this, but you, this just happened and that just happened, so I'm not sure if that makes sense. And then she'd still get more upset. I'd be like, you know, I, you know what? That, I, you're saying this and this, but we discussed this and that earlier. I, I, I don't know. And then she was mad. She stormed out. Ten minutes later, comes back, and this has happened. All is like, you know what? I'm sorry. I was really, I was really out. I was really wrong there. Because I realized if I, by the way, everyone has their own way. There's that saying where there's reactivity, there's a wound. So something you can think about in your own life is where do you react? And react isn't always getting angry. React can be shutting down. React can be going into a place of, uh, of shame where you just feel less than others and like you're a piece of shit. It could be getting uh, depressed. It could be getting, uh, uh, you know, just verbally attacking someone. Whatever, wherever you react, uh, that's where your wound is. Um, and so by me being non-reactive in that way, um, she eventually... Oh, my point was this. When one, I knew as soon as I react, I become wrong. Even if I'm right, when I react, I become wrong. So if I just let that go, it, it works out. Here's another thing. Is this interesting, the relationship stuff? Because it's helpful? Okay, okay, all right. Because um, I didn't know what we were going to talk about when we were out here. We started with, with tasing and waterboarding, and now we're talking about love. <laughs> they, they go together. So uh, um, what's this? Um, there's this idea that when, uh, when a wound of yours gets poked, where, where you haven't grown to a state of emotional adulthood, you regress to an adolescent or childish state. Right? You guys understand that, right? That makes sense. There's some, definitely some big nods here. Some people recognize it. Those who don't know what I'm talking about, ask your partner. <laughs> if, you're single, <laughs> nice. if you're single, you're doing that so you don't get poked. Okay. So, I mean, if you're, if you're for the five, ten people who've never been in a relationship. Anyway, what you know, you can't reason with a child. So when your partner is reactive, you're not going to get a rational discussion out of it. You have to wait till they step away and they come back to you as an adult or you come back to them as both being adults. Then you can have a discussion about it. Otherwise, just know you're trying to reason with a child because that's where their wounds were from, from mom or dad or whatever happened growing up. There's a hack for that. You ready for it? Let's do it. All right. So you, your partner goes into the reactive mode and they're stuck there. It's just a couple words. You say, I have to go to the bathroom. <laughs> that's true, that's true. You walk out of the room, check Facebook for a while, and then come back in. Because no one can deny that you have to go to the bathroom. If they did, that would be a problem. I shouldn't say this. If Lana's listening, I'm in trouble. <laughs> How dare you go to the bathroom in the middle of the night? <laughs> right. Sorry, nature calls, right? And, and so there's, there's nothing bad about having to do that. Uh, and then that gives them a chance to be like, and then their brain can actually reset itself. And I stole that hack directly from Daniel Amen. His very first book, Change Your Brain, Change Your Life. He talks about how there's certain states that you can see on a brain scanner, and it just it needs a chance to reset. Yeah. And that has actually been a really beneficial thing. Although I think last year, after like 10 years, Lana finally figured out that I do that. And now when I say that, she gets pissed, but it's okay. <laughs> after a while, they start to catch on, right? <laughs> yeah. um, the other thing, too, is when someone is... You ever like someone comes to you with a problem and they're really kind of heated about it and then like you don't give the wrong answer you say the wrong answer and they get more upset and all that anger at that other thing gets taken out on you anyone ever experienced that um one thing i realized is like not everybody wants to be communicated with in the way you want to be and this is not like a five love languages thing this is separate which is i start to understand now i'll ask somebody what they want like i'll say do you want because there's one of four ways they want to be responded to one is to do you want advice? Not everyone wants advice. They just want to talk about their fucking problem. They don't always want your great advice, <laughs> even if it's great. Uh, so I'm like, do you want advice? Do you want me just to listen? 
Do you want me to go away? <laughs> or do you want some like physical affection? Some people have a problem, they just want to be like hugged and patted and told it's okay. The advice versus just listen thing seems to fall down some gender barriers most of the time, right? You know, sometimes I feel like, and I know that's a kind of John Gray thing, yeah. but I also feel like we start to see a pattern and look for it. I'm the opposite. I really want to talk it through, and we're the opposite in, in, in like my relationship. You've been working on your feminine side. I, I can see exactly. That. <laughs> that's it. <laughs> no, and like I said, it's, no, but I also it's feel like we have so many false dualities in the culture, like the idea of men are like this and women are like that. I just, I just don't think a lot of that stuff is true. And if it is, a lot of it's just cultural. It, it absolutely. When you, you look and say men are always this way, women are always this way, that is clearly false. Right. And if you, you say there's a 60 or 70% skew on, on average, I, at least from talking with a bunch of guy friends, it feels like that. So I have a learned skill that I think every guy here should, should have, which is say, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Right? And that's the listening skill, right? <laughs> and it's also selective attention. Like you guys know, um, you look in your light, for example... But what's a, what's a, what's a, like a limiting belief someone has about themselves? Some, just shout it out. We're, we're, we're all friends here. Not good enough. Not, okay, not good enough. Great. And what, what's the last time you felt not good enough? Right now, and <laughs> speaking in front of three, 500 people. <laughs> when, when was the last time? Okay, we're back there. When was the last time you felt not good enough? This morning. Uh-huh. Okay, so, so, but, but an example is, let's say I have the belief I'm not good enough, and I think, how do people like share that belief at times? Come on, right? So we're all not good enough, guys, all right. <laughs> and not, not good enough is just good enough. So, so, so we believe we're not good enough, and then what happens in a day? Maybe we wake up next to our, 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 our we wake up, the alarm goes off, we like look, we have our home, we have our pets who love us, maybe we have a partner who loves us, and we have this awesome day, and then one thing happens where somebody ignores you, or they take too long to return your text, or you get a piece of criticism, which is t probably totally valid, right, from someone you're working for, and all of a sudden you're like, see, I'm not good enough, fuck them, fuck everything, and we ignore the thousand things that happen, and you pay attention to that one thing that proves your point about yourself, and that's sometimes what we do with when we have an idea about what feminine is or what masculine is or who I am. We really selectively filter evidence and just look for stuff that shows us to be right, even when us being right hurts ourselves. That is, uh, that is very true. Yeah. I'd like to talk with you about my problem. <laughs> okay. Break <laughs> <No. laughs> it uh, and it's, it on. It's interesting, too, though. A lot of us aren't aware of which of those four things is natural. And you said it wasn't like the five love languages, but what do you think of the five love languages? Listen, here, here's every self-help book in the world, which is all self-help books are the same thing, and people just name them different, have different terminology for them, right? <laughs> so it's a, great way to break, it's a great way to break things down. If we look mm -hmm. at the myriad existence where, where there really is no separation, and we create these arbitrary categories that are useful, it's great. And those are some arbitrary, useful categories. Um, it's... Whether you're looking at the, the four things you talked about, the five love languages, uh, that was a book that actually I found enlightening, maybe because I have a history of having Asperger's syndrome or something. And how many of you have read the five love languages? Yeah. Uh, and just knowing what your partner's love language is, is is really legitimate. And I went so far as I had all of the Bulletproof employees 
take the test, and we have this little HR web application thing, and we know your Colby score, which tells us basic, you know, basic things about what your natural instincts to do things are, like how quickly you like to get started, how much information you need to feel safe in making a decision, whether you're good at building stuff or just thinking about stuff. Uh, and things like that, and then we put their love language in there. So if you have an employee who really just wants a hug, and you're like, good job, and they don't give a rat's ass about being told they're doing a good job, well, if you know that, it's kind of useful to, to be supportive and friendly. And in, uh, in a relationship, that's particularly important. Yeah, no, it's great to know that. And again, I'm doing a project right now where we're, it's kind of crazy, but we're trying to solve a missing person's case of somebody who disappeared like a month ago, and we're and so as we're looking at people's behavior, we're finding that you think, well, if that was me, I would have done X, Y, and Z, and they didn't do that, so thus they're suspicious. But we're like, they're, they're not you. So we assume that, oh, I would have loved a gift, or I would love quality time, Why? and they're not accepting it from me. What's wrong? And we really make this horrible assumption of assuming that everyone thinks like us and responds like us, and they don't. That, that was definitely a, a big learning for me. Yeah, it seems like there's some generational changes here, and we're about the same age. I'm 44, and you're... Yeah, like, I was born in, uh, like, 48. 48, yeah. You were born in 48? No, yeah, I was born in 48. <laughs> <laughs> so, 48. So, so we're, we're similar. And it seems like some of the stuff that you wrote about in The Truth, I mean, there are fundamental relationship tenets there, but it seems like there are some, some changes for people who are dating with, uh, with Tinder, and able to, to basically do things that, that would, would have been really hard when we were 20 because there wasn't any tech for that. They saw 900 numbers when we were 20. I have no idea. Never used one. I actually registered one 900 hot Dave, no joke. Did you really? Yeah. No way. Yeah. That's awesome. How'd that work out? <laughs> it was a long time ago, but it was funny, and I never used it, but it was... That's hilarious. And I own Hot we're Dave. We're going to all go call it now and see if there's I, still a message of, like, and, teenage Dave. And, and if you go to hotdave.com, it still reroutes to some of my domains, which no is way. ridiculous. <laughs> the, the benefits of being early on the That's internet. Awesome. How did I get there? I, I know what we were talking about. One of the things that I see come up over and over, especially in people under 30... Uh, under 30 now, is like monogamy is dead. I want to have you know six girlfriends and two boyfriends all at the same time. What's your take on that? Cool. Uh, yeah, two two things. One is that's another monogamy, non-monogamy, yeah. false duality. There's no mm -hmm. such thing. I mean, there's no there's no such thing as monogamy or non-monogamy. Like you just get to be in your the idea of monogamy is something the Catholic Church made up in the ninth century and has kind of been enforced. But the truth is, this is my belief is you get into a relationship. You decide with that person what kind of relationship is healthiest for both of you and the relationship. And then you get into that relationship and if it changes, it changes. Like it's just crazy how we have this idea that we gotta choose this or that and be that way for the rest of our life or identify ourselves as that way. <clears throat> one person agrees, thank you for that one clap. <laughs> I heard a... Are we done? <laughs> so, but, but I did struggle, I did struggle with it because, because in, in the truth I really thought I looked at science and evolution, and we're not mm -hmm. supposed to be monogamous. And then I thought, wait, like, can't I just make my own choice? I don't yeah. have to let, like, whatever evolutionary science says decide my behavior. I'm just looking, I'm, most people look to, and I hope I'm not offending anyone here, but look to evolutionary stuff to justify something they already believe anyway. Well, there's sex at dawn. Chris Ryan was on the show a long right. time ago. And then there's sex at dusk, which is looking at the same data and saying the exact opposite. And I'm like, and, and sex at dawn and Chris and a friend is, is an argument. 
Yeah. It's an argument because he's tired of the other narrative. He's like, check out this other narrative. And the truth is, like, when we're definitely in this like, post-fact era, what we're starting to realize is that most thoughts and most facts are already there to justify people's pre-existing beliefs and emotions. What I've found is that people who explore non-monogamy generally have to face their relationship issues much earlier in their lives. It's true. <laughs> it, it, it is a big growing, yeah. like, to, to, what it takes to have a polyamorous, healthy polyamorous relationship, and I've seen a lot of unhealthy ones as well, mm -hmm. but to have a health, the unhealthy one is where, like, one person is just entirely controlling. Everybody is, everybody else is submissive with mommy or daddy issues, and they just live in their uh, trauma bubble. That's the unhealthy one. But yeah. the, healthy, the healthy version is, is people who are really communicating and articulating. And really, stuff comes up. There's something called the uh, birding period, which is if you want to open up your relationship, because we're not trained to have an open relationship in our culture, and because uh, it's just a new change, it takes like about a year, a year to two years just to work through all the emotional stuff. It really takes a lot of emotional maturity to do it. I, I had a chance to, to chat with Aubrey de Grey about this. Uh -huh. And do you know Aubrey? Yeah. So Aubrey is one of the leading biogerontologists who is... He's Working been to stop age, aging like it's a disease. Here, here it's a yeah. genius model. And, and he's, he's pretty hardcore. He's like, oh yeah, we'll find the bacteria that eat cadavers and we'll genetically engineer them so they'll eat only the bad parts and then we'll stick them in your blood. Like he, he's very into this anti-aging thing. And he has the most... Uh, What's the, word the rest of his life completely unhealthy because he thinks he's going to fix aging so he can just eat yeah. all the junk food and never exercise yeah, and do what he wants. Fix aging, I love so him. beer. <laughs> like, there's a correlation there. Right. And, and he has like, the most psychedelic beard of anyone I've ever met. Yeah. And so I, 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 he's, he's a friend. And he was quite polyamorous for quite a while, but he's, he's lived long enough to just be down with it. So I, I, I was driving him somewhere once. And I'm like, like, how do you do this? Like, tell me about this. And Izzy was like, I, you know, I, I, I just love everyone. And, and, it, and it was okay. And you could tell he, there was no emotional stress about that. Uh, and then I found out uh, a few weeks ago that now he's monogamous again. So I have to ask him about that. Right. Yeah, it's funny. I tried, I tried living with three girlfriends when I was trying to see what relationships that was right mm -hmm. with me. And we spent the entire half a day processing all the shit that went on. Like, literally, this is why I do the books I do, because you don't know what it's like till you experience it. And I never realized that one of the biggest challenges of polyamory for, for, was who gets the front seat of the car. <laughs> like, like we'd wake it, they'd all line up outside the front and be like, because it's like somebody will, it's the, the craziest shit comes up. That's so why I love it. Same thing as parenting, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Sometimes it felt like that. Um, I, I but, I, but I also think you were saying about this generational thing. I think that's another, it seems to me that we just have this arbitrary cutoff and call someone generation X or Y or Z or yeah, this. They're arbitrary. But, and, but it really, but if you look at it, a lot of the attributes are the same. The older generation always feels the younger generation is lazy, not working, having too much sex. It's the same shit, whether it's the lost generation or the slackers mm -hmm. or the, you know, uh, what's the generation now? Generation Z, whatever it is. Yeah. But, it's the, and, but the truth is, millennials, uh, yeah, Z is the one belief them. Anyway, the point is, um, the tools might change, but we have these ideas that are just false. Like, in fact, people are losing their virginity at later ages now. So we have this crazy idea. It's just, it's just people fucking getting old and forgetting what it's like to be young and being afraid of being replaced. <laughs> there we go. Right? Fear again. Now, I want to ask you the question in the, the context. I've already asked you the question on the show, the Bulletproof Radio, you know, three, right. three most important things for people who want to perform better. So I'm going to tweak it a little bit here. Okay. 
which means you won't be part of the statistical analysis that I'm actually doing for all these answers, uh, at least not on this answer. But if someone wanted to love better every day for the rest of their life, what are the three most important pieces of advice you have for them? I mean, you all know what the number one is thing is, right? One, just try, guess it out loud on three. One, two, three. Oh, come on. Oh, my God. I'm so disappointed. Sex I thought was this the was first like a, answer. Right. I, thought, I thought this was a, a headstrong crowd. No, it's like you've got to love yourself. You're, 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 there you you're go. Right. All you, but, and, and it's not just a cliche. Your capacity to love is limited. Someone's walking out on that line. All right. <laughs> you know what? I've got a homework to do. <laughs> um, your capacity to, to love someone else is limited by the degree to which you love yourself. So, All right. number one. Number two uh, is to uh, accept that person as they are or accept whatever you want to love as it is because that is love. Uh, and then number three, love yourself, accept them. And communication is great. What's that? Communication, sex, change. You know what? Just to be present, to be present with that person, to be present with as hard as that is to be still and present with that person. Awesome. Well, Neil Strauss... It's been a pleasure having you on Bulletproof Radio. Thank you. Oh, by the way, I want to point out something, which is this. When I was struggling to think of a thought, and everyone who yelled out that idea to help me, your issue is that you caretake. Your issue is that you want to help others, but so badly that you deprive them the ability to learn for the, and help themselves. Good night, guys. Thank you. Thank you. Human Upgrade, formerly Bulletproof Radio, was created and is hosted by Dave Asprey. The information contained in this podcast is provided for informational purposes only and is not intended for the purposes of diagnosing, treating, curing, or preventing any disease. Before using any products referenced on the podcast, consult with your healthcare provider, carefully read all labels, and heed all directions and cautions that accompany the products. Information found or received through the podcast should not be used in place of a consultation or advice from a healthcare provider. If you suspect you have a medical problem or should you have any healthcare questions, please promptly call or see your healthcare provider. This podcast, including Dave Asprey and the producers, disclaim responsibility for any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. Opinions of guests are their own, and this podcast does not endorse or accept responsibility for statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. This podcast may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products or services. Individuals on this podcast may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to herein. This podcast is owned by Bulletproof Media.